The following program is sponsored by Wealth Enhancement Group. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Wealth Enhancement Group or its guests and do not reflect the opinions of News Talk 830 and Odyssey Inc. Advisory services offered through Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Certain but not all investment advisor representatives at Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services are also registered representatives of and offer securities through LPL Financial Member FINRA, SIPC. Wealth Enhancement Group and Wealth Enhancement Advisory Services are separate entities from LPL. Wealth Enhancement Group is a registered trademark of Wealth Enhancement Group, LLC. Strategies to make sense of your financial life. Answers to everyday questions pertaining to your money. Brought to you by Wealth Enhancement Group. Helping you to plan and invest with confidence and clarity. After all, it's your money. Rashini Rajkumar here. You are listening to Your Money on WCCO Radio with your host, Bruce and Peg. Between low interest rates, economic stimulus, and increasing debt levels, a lot of people are worried about inflation. Well, Bruce and Peg have some tips for inflation-proofing your finances. You can text and call them today on our studio line, 651-989-9226. And, of course, during the week, ask your questions of Peg and Bruce at 888-6-ADVICE or email your money at wealthenhancement.com. Here's Senior Vice President, Financial Advisor Peg Webb, and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, financial advisor Bruce Helmer. Good morning, Bruce and Peg. Good morning. Hi, Rashini. Hi, Peg. Uh, nice lead in, Rashini. And we, we definitely do want to talk about inflation. Peg, we also have to talk about, um, does everyone have their tax return done now? Because uh, we're, we're at the deadline. Yes, the deadline is here. And um, I have to, <clears throat> full disclosure, I had to file an extension because not all of my documents are in. Um, I also have procrastinated. I'm really, really good about keeping my documents in a certain folder when the year starts. So 2020's folder was created on January 1st of 2020. And January 1st of 2021, I already have a folder for 2021. Um, things come up. And you need to put the things in your folder, I do anyway, that pertain to my tax return immediately when I have my hands first on the document. Uh, recently, I was asked to contribute to a charity uh, for a particular cause that I was passionate about. So I just quickly wrote a check because I was standing there. I was in uh, and, and I got the receipt in an email. I printed it. Now, this is where people laugh at me, especially my team sometimes, <laughs> how much I like to print things. But I printed it, and then I put it in the folder. So uh, I'm sure lots of people out there have their return all done. They're sitting back. They're relaxed. But I've had many calls this week about what does it mean if I can't get it done? How do I file an extension? And is that a bad thing? Yeah, I, um, this is the first year, and I don't remember how long, that I don't have to file an extension. I signed it yesterday, and I'm not sure what I did more efficiently this year than the, the last 10 years. Apparently, um, for whatever reason, we had everything that uh, my accountant needed, and uh, and I think I'm done, So or at least for another year. Um, now, let's say... The one thing... You, oh, yeah. Bruce, I just want to say one other thing. The one thing you don't get away with, and neither did I, oh, is right. talking to the tax person 
uh, who assists me and giving my numbers, if you will, uh, as close as I could possibly give to see if I had paid in as much as I was supposed to pay in. Because just because I file an extension doesn't mean that interest won't start on my money that I owe. So right. you want to get that super close if you can because the interest is very high. And if you delay it, you may have a shock if you file in October <laughs> if you owe a bunch more money. Yeah, if you're extending to October, you still have to pay what, what you think you owe but you know, right now. So, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I want to segue. Uh, Rasheen gave us a great lead-in about inflation. And you can't even make this stuff up, okay? You can't make it up. So last night we had a social gathering. And by the way, does it feel great to sort of be back to normal. We had a we had a we had a we had a thing at our house. Everybody's been double vaccinated. We didn't mask. We hugged. It was a great night. And what it actually was, um, my lovely thoughtful wife for Christmas. She knows I'm a big ma- fan of magic, so she got an in-home magic show. We had a great magician named Christoph the magician come out. But we had this this social gathering. Everyone everyone had a good time. Everyone was well behaved. I was I was in bed, you know, plenty early. But we had a lot of fun. But one of the guests at the party started to ask me about inflation and how that's going to impact the market. And I'm like, well, I can answer that, but do you really want to talk about that at this at this party? Because I kind of don't. And why don't you listen into the to our show tomorrow? Because we're going to talk about this. So you know, we we saw the ransomware of the of the of the pipeline. We're seeing, you know, increased costs in building materials. And we are starting to see, you know, for a long time, inflation has been really, really, really low. And it is starting to rear its ugly head a little bit. And so let's talk about, first, maybe we start by telling people what it is. Because some people, when we talk about inflation, might not even know what the heck we're talking about. So let's start there. What is inflation? Well, you and I think alike because that isn't even on the outline, but I thought maybe we should just say, talk about what is it? Well, just super simplistic. It's too much money chasing too few things, right? That just, there's just a simple demand, um, a, a, a demand supply mismatch. There's just, just picture this lots of people going after the same thing. Well, we on our um, roundtable last Monday, our investment team was on and said, hey, as an example of inflation, lumber today. So 2020, one year ago, $50,000, and if you were, were building a 2,000-square-foot house, one year ago, you could have built 10 homes. In 2021, that 50000 that same 50000 would build two homes with the cost of lumber today. That is truly a supply and demand um, mismatch. Now, there's some other things with this lumber, you know, um, there there was just that all of a sudden, everybody with interest rates low, you know, decided that they wanted to build a house. There was some export problems. So that probably also drove uh, the price up. But it's just a good example of one day you're just whistling down the road, no problem, no problem, and all of a sudden, boom, the project that you wanted to get done is going to cost a lot more. So when it comes to inflation, Bruce, 
I, you know, as a financial advisor, I'm thinking about inflation all the time for my clients because they tend to talk about inflation in the news with with those that example I just gave. But when we work with our clients and we do these financial forecasts, we're building it in for other reasons as well, meaning healthcare. Healthcare has had the greatest percentage of inflation and I feel like that doesn't hit the news as much as it should, but now inflation is a big deal because things like goods and services are getting more expensive. But we also consider inflation in our financial forecasts, and we've been running these forecasts at 25 3%, but at a 3% inflation, it takes just 24 years to cut your purchasing power in half. And what I mean by purchasing power is, to buy the same goods and services with that original dollar, you know, you have to have so many more dollars to be able to buy the same thing that you did in the past. Um, and in the long term, we've witnessed uh, inflation just kind of eating away at our clients' dollars for things that are beyond their control, i.e. healthcare. Yeah, so inflation is the the increase in the cost of living and you know when i do public speaking i usually give an example and and it usually gets a pretty good reaction from the audience i will ask them if they remember what they uh paid for the very first home they ever bought and they'll nod and they'll think of the number and then i'll say okay now think of the most recent vehicle that you bought and how many people paid more for your last car than your first home and inevitably a lot of hands go up or i'll cite other examples you know i remember when gas was, you know, less than 25 cents a gallon, I'd go ride my bike to Tabery's Texaco in Olivia, Minnesota, and I'd fill up my gas can to mow the lawn, and it was a, it was a quarter for, for a gallon of gas. So those are examples of how the cost of living goes up. Now, this becomes an issue if that, if that percentage of increase starts to really increase. Like I said, in recent years, we haven't seen much inflation, but now it seems to be picking up, and this is impactful to, to retirees and seniors that might be on a fixed income. If you're working, you, you usually see increases in your paycheck that perhaps keep, play, keep pace or even exceed the rate of inflation. But if you're not working anymore and your, your income is Social Security and a pension and, and, and what we would call fixed income, your ability to, to maintain or enjoy the same lifestyle can be definitely threatened as, as the price or the cost of living goes up. So that's why this can be a big deal. Yeah, and, and there is kind of a hint that this low inflation time frame is ending. And one concern, and I hear this every week, if not every day, the debt the debt, the debt is increasing. What impact will that have? Now, yes, we are at $28 trillion at this point, which um, just fascinates me. And, and technically, that's $85,000 for every person in the United States, which is the highest it's ever been. But the Fed is trying to control things right now, and, and often they do but they're trying to keep interest rates low. And how in the world can they keep it, keep interest rates low? I get this question again. What kind of power do they have? Well, they're using this power to support the economic recovery. They're not quite sure that we're there yet. 
So keeping interest rates low helps that. And then they want to make sure that the labor market, you know, is at full strength, their definition of full strength. And then they don't want inflation, um, you know, to go higher than 2%. So they're trying to control this inflation too. And when it comes to how do they keep it low, and they've been doing this off and on for a long time, and they did it in 08 and 09 as well. But the way that the Fed keeps interest rates low is they actually go in the open market and they buy their own bonds back. They buy treasury bonds. So since June of last year, they've actually bought $80 billion of their own treasury bonds back and $40 billion of mortgage-backed securities. And just by that sheer volume of going in and buying, it's almost, Bruce, as if I started my own business and I created some kind of a widget and I went in and just bought my own widgets. I mean, I like showing that it was just very popular and all of a sudden then, um, you know, it's, it's kind of the supply and demand. It's making it seem like um, there's a lot of purchases and it makes the, the price go up. In this case, if they go buy their own bonds, that creates enough activity to keep the interest rates low. Um, and, and I know this whole uh, investment world that we live in, Bruce, is somewhat confusing and bonds tend to be the most confusing part for most people. The stock market, I think people feel very educated and confident about, but when it comes to bonds, it's even trickier. So acknowledging that we might be seeing an increase in inflation, you know, looking at, like you said, lumber or material costs, gas prices, health care costs, acknowledging that this is happening, let's give our listeners some some things they can do, some tips to combat inflation, and then maybe before we uh, take some texts, we can even talk a little bit about some things not to do. Because sometimes people make uh, quick decisions that are emotional decisions that aren't good decisions. So let's help people navigate uh, if inflation is indeed coming back, and it sure looks like it is. Let's give uh, people some things they can do and some things not to do. Well, there's real benefit in investing. So when we talk about inflation, inflation compounds, just like I said, but so does interest. So in inflationary times, that usually means that interest rates are going up. And everybody listening out there today is looking for some safe place to put their money that they get uh, some kind of a return. And so there are people out there cheering that inflation would come back because usually interest rates are on the rise. And then when prices actually increase, the value of those assets increase as well. Uh, it's, that just kind of goes hand in hand. So when we look at it, the worst thing you can do is just sit on your money, you know, earning zero. Now, everybody needs an emergency fund. So as you're listening today, you can say, oh, I've got this money that's just sitting there earning nothing. Every single person, including myself, need some money that's really not earning a lot of money just because it's safe and it's our rainy day fund. The best thing you can do is what Wealth Enhancer Group has done forever. You need to diversify your portfolio. Um, your money in the short term isn't going to get hit as hard when interest rates start to go up because what happens is the inverse. When interest rates start to go up, your bonds that you own, the value will decrease. And so you need kind of a mix of long-term assets 
probably like stocks, and you need a mix of short-term assets. But what Wealth Enhancement Group has done, as they said in the roundtable last Monday, they're keeping their duration of bonds short. So if you have short maturities, you won't get hit as hard, Bruce, as if you had those long 30-year bonds and interest rates are rising. Um, one of the things that you said, and I want you to give people some more good tips, one of, one of the things I want to go back to really quickly is, again, people fear inflation. Um, but like you said, inflation is not necessarily bad for the stock market because as prices increase, the value of things increase. There's no correlation between uh, an increase in inflation means a neg- negative market. In fact, probably the contrary. So the, what I heard you say there is, your long money should be in stocks, and you, you want you want to try to get a return that keeps pace, equals or exceeds the rate of inflation, so you're not losing purchasing power, so you're not going backwards. Yeah, and I think when we talk about diversity too, Bruce, um, we've been talking a lot about growth stocks versus value stocks. By growth stocks, think about it if you if you aren't if if, if you aren't making a lot of um, widgets and you aren't selling them, but your growth is based on the future. Like, hey, this company's going to grow, it's going to grow, it's going to grow, like tech tech companies. Well, they're not paying a lot of dividends. They're usually borrowing more money than they're paying in dividends. So a company that has to borrow a lot of money, they care whether interest rates are going up because that will affect their bottom line. In value stocks, they usually pay a dividend, and sometimes they increase those dividends, or they decrease those dividends, but those companies tend to do better in a rising interest rate environment. So that's just history now. It doesn't mean it's going to repeat itself. But even when you look at the stock market, we are all about diversity. Um, what else can we tell people? What other hints can we give them? So invest, diversify, but have exposure to stocks to try to exceed the rate of inflation. What else can they do? Well, one of the things that becomes popular now is this Treasury Inflation Protection uh, Protected Security. And I think the reason it becomes popular right now is because it has the word inflation in it. So the U.S. government issues Treasury bonds, and all of us know they have all sorts of different maturities. You can go buy them direct with the Treasury. You can buy them on the open market. But these Treasury Inflation Protection Securities seem to be getting um, some popularity again because they are adjusted by the consumer price index rate. And when I say adjusted, you know, they will look at that consumer price index and tack on some kind of value to your bond. They actually do pay a dividend twice a year, not a lot. Um, They're sold in maturities of five years, 10 years. But with the Fed out there buying securities at the rate that they are, I'm not crazy about the valuations of these Treasury Inflation Protection Security bonds. They're a little bit complex. So I wouldn't necessarily go out and buy a ton of those types of bonds. I think um, a safe bond to buy for a percentage of your portfolio all the time is just plain treasury bonds. Hey, Rashini, we've got other tips that we'll probably get to before we're done today, but let's squeeze in a text in the first half. Sounds great. You have several texts coming in, and to remind people, the number is 651-989-9226. This listener says, please explain the pros and cons of a credit shelter trust and the survivor's living trust. 
Ooh, Peg, credit yes. shelter trust. Sorry. Yeah, it seems pretty complex for the time we have left. Um, All right, let's. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to let. Maybe this one can have a shorter answer. I am young, cannot withdraw 401k without penalty, but I can convert to Roth. Withdraw, or can I convert to Roth and withdraw after five years of investment? Investment. In about a minute, give the uh, how how they convert from 401k to Roth. Yeah, in 401k, um, some co- corporations are allowing you to do a conversion right in your company plan, and anyone can do it. There's no income limits. Um, look at the tax bracket that you may fall into, but uh, contributing to a, a Roth within your 401k is unlimited as well. There's no income limits. So I would first look at if you if you want to take the opportunity to first just invest in it, and then look at the conversion within your company plan. So it's a two-step process. You got to first get to a, an IRA, and then you can get to a, a Roth. And if you're young, and the texture said they were, it probably does make a lot of sense to do that. Because again, our, our our strategic planning it's not just paying the least amount of tax in the current year or in the short term. It's paying the least amount of tax over a lifetime, and sometimes. You're better off paying a little bit more in the short term to pay a lot less long term. All right, Rossini, um, uh, I, I think we're running up against the clock. Right. We have lots of texts coming in. Uh, remember, you can also call Peg and Bruce live today, 651-989-9226. Uh, we have lots of questions just to sort of give you some teasers. People are asking about 401ks. People are asking about the Fed and um, some of the rules and uh, regulations that they put out there. So just a little teaser of some of the questions we'll get back to uh, on your money this morning with Peg and Bruce. But again, remind you you can call us or text us 651-989-9226 peg and bruce are ready to take your questions rashini rajkumar back along with your hosts of your money bruce and peg lots of text questions you can also call us 651-989-9226 and our topic today is protecting your retirement from inflation, but of course, our experts, Peg and Bruce, take all kinds of questions. And here's one from a texter. Please explain the pros and cons of a credit shelter trust and the survivor's living trust. Peg, are you going to be the uh, trust expert today? (laughs) I can be. I um, hesitated on answering it in the first half just because it's very popular now. and We're getting a lot of questions on these trusts. Because of the uh, Biden administration changes that are being touted in the news. So uh, trying to figure out how we're going to collect some additional taxes for the 28 trillion of debt that we have uh, is, is kind of being uh, leaned on the wealthy people. So credit shelter trusts are something that are very prominent in the estate planning world. And some people call it the AB trust. Some people call it the bypass trust. But what it is, if I just give you an example, if a client has, and it's usually the affluent people, uh, and it recently would be the affluent people because we can each die with federally 11700000 So you can imagine a couple, when you each get 11700000 you have to be $20 million plus 
to think that you need to do some trust um, documents uh, for the future so that you minimize how much you're going to give the government upon your death. So if you do have $20 million, one of the things you may uh, hear your advisor uh, coach you on is to putting uh, investments into your individual names. So if you have an account instead of joint tenancy, we'll often recommend that you put half in the wife's name and half in the husband's name because that way you can claim how much you have free from the government. What these trusts do is on the first death, the assets that were in the husband's name, sorry, he's leaving this world first, but if you put it in the husband's name, then all those assets will move then to this credit shelter trust. The spouse actually still has access to those um, dollars that are in that credit shelter trust, but probably for specifics like health and maintenance and, and the way of life that that wife had. Well, she has access then to the income, but the value of that account as it grows in the future, it probably the beneficiaries are probably the children, but as it grows in the future is not to be taxed again from an estate planning standpoint. So if they change, you know, the level that you can die with a dollar amount, um, it's a way to kind of secure, if you will, um, how much you would pay the government uh, when you die. So those are the positives. Uh, Bruce, I don't know if you want to go into the negatives. Well, again, I I don't think it, it applies to that many people listening. Again, we're talking about people with probably pretty large estates. And so the the negative would be you give up some flexibility in order to protect yourself from taxes. So there's a, there's, there's a trade-off. And I know we're getting the question more often because, again, um, everybody thinks that our taxes are probably going to increase in 2022. And, and, and for, a lot, for a lot of people, there's a pretty good chance of that. But I still don't know how often um, people are going to use th- these types of strategies. It's pretty small sample size of listeners, I would think. All right, Peg and Bruce, Scott has this question. I have mutual funds and a Roth. My question is, I have a truck loan of 30000 I would like to pay it off. Would it be good to pay it off with one of my mutual funds or Roth? I have more than 30000 in every account. Oh, wow. Um, Rashini, can you hit, hit me with that one more time? I want to make sure I understand it. I'm sorry. Yeah, it looks like Scott has a truck loan of 30000 he wants to pay off, asking you both if he should use mutual funds or Roth. So it sounds like he has a mutual fund and a Roth, at least one of each, with more than 30000 in every account. Okay, so um, we don't know how old he is, and that could be relevant, but Peg, I'll let you go first. Yeah, so I, I, a truck loan for 30000 I think I would care mostly about what interest rate am I paying on that loan, and then I, I'm getting this question a lot, too, the mutual funds and the Roth IRAs. Mutual funds are just an entity, right? A mutual fund could be in a Roth or it could be in a uh, after-tax account. But um, I would look at the interest rate that I'm getting charged on the loan. I would look at my past performance on those um, two categories, mutual funds and Roth. What I would probably not do is cash in my Roth to pay off a truck loan. I am just such a big fan of Roth IRAs. 
and the fact that you probably worked hard to get the money into a Roth and that if you follow the rules, they are um, tax-free growth. Yeah, and the key there is, you know, follow the rules. And, and, and what, what that means is, is to get tax-free treatment, you have to be 59 and a half years old and or have that Roth for at least five years, whichever is longer. So the texture doesn't say how old he is. So, uh, you know, again, if he's over, he or she is over the age of 59 and a half and there's no taxes on that Roth withdrawal, I certainly like that better than the idea of paying taxes on selling a mutual fund. But uh, Peg said the key thing, what is the interest rate on that loan? And if the interest rate is low, um, I wouldn't be in a hurry to pay it off. And Peg, that actually goes back to one of the things, again, remembering that our topic today was protecting your retirement from inflation. One of the other tips that we were going to give people, I'll, I'll circle back to that now, is interest rates have been really low for a really long period of time. And if you haven't locked in a low interest rate on your mortgage or on any loan, if you have to borrow money, in this case it's a truck payment, you should you, you should make those purchases and do that borrowing now. Peg, you talked a lot about how as interest rates go up, that's good for investors or that's good for uh, uh, savers, but that's always a two-edged sword. That's not good for borrowers. Low interest rates are good for borrowers. Well, they're still low now but they might not stay this low. It might be time to lock in that, that, that low interest rate, again, on a mortgage or a vehicle or on something else that you need to buy for your business. might be a good time to do it now. And I think it's a perfect um, excuse to shop, Bruce. Right? <laughs> go buy that fancy car or go buy that piece of art that was an investment or something if you can borrow at low rates. Um, and, and you know I'm kind of anti-debt, uh, but when you get down to these low levels, um, and then I'm, I'm more of a fan. All right, great inside advice from Peg and Bruce. This listener says, if the federal government and Federal Reserve had not jumped in with two feet, would we be talking about inflation now or worried about deflation? <laughs> That's a good question. Peg, what do you think? Um, I have not really given a lot of thought of it into it because in my entire career, the Fed has always jumped in. The government has always jumped in. Turned out that it was a wise decision on their part. I, I still often think about 08, 09. Had they not jumped in, um, how it would even be quite different today. Um, I'm not quite sure. I, I guess I really haven't given that a whole lot of thought, Bruce. Well, how would we yeah, be today? And I don't know the answer to that either. We're speculating, obviously. But let me talk about what I think the the bigger question might be. So, the Fed chairman, currently Fed chairman Powell, and, and, and so oftentimes even these questions and these discussions can become political. And Peg and I and Wealth Enhancement yeah. Group go to great lengths to not be political. There's no, we have to look at the economics and not get, you know, swayed by any political arguments. So the Fed chairman was uh, appointed by a Republican president, but so far at least uh, he's been kept in as uh, chairman Powell has been kept in the role by President Biden. And, Peg, I think there was a time in my career when I was younger and maybe a little more, you know, uh, smart-alecky than I am as I get older. Even on this radio show, I think a previous Fed chair uh, chairman, um, I criticized for intervening too much. And, and 
I want them to just back off and let you know the economy go where it's going to go. But I think these people honestly are a whole lot smarter than I am. So I I would I would not try to ever tell whoever the Fed chairman is how to do their job. But but you know again we we, we in this show talking about inflation and we talked about the federal debt and you referenced 2008. I think both now because of the pandemic. And in 2008, and listeners will remember the, the phrase that came out of that era. We'd never heard it before, but it became part of our vernacular, too big to fail. I think you and I were in the same um, conference, maybe, where we heard uh, uh, President Bush speak about uh, the stimulus that they did back then. And both uh, Bush and Obama did it. Both, both sides of the aisle did it. And a lot of people were very critical of the federal government. Some people called it corporate welfare. And I heard President Bush say, I, I abhor cor- corporate welfare. It goes against every fiber of my being. But every economic advisor that I had, every single one, said, Mr. President, you have to do this or the economy is going to collapse. Well, that's an easy decision. I, I engaged these people to listen to their advice, so I did. And I think the same can be said of the pandemic. I think if we didn't do that stimulus, I don't know where the economy would be right now. So, yes, the government spent a lot of money, and we got to figure out how to pay back that debt. But I think it was something that virtually all economists and both sides of the aisle agreed something needed to be done. And uh, now we'll see what happens going forward. But if they hadn't, you know, if the Fed hadn't intervened, boy, who knows? I don't know. Peg and Bruce, here's one with some juicy numbers in there. This listener says, I'm retired with no debt have about $1 million in retirement savings. I want to buy a $300,000 house and sell my $100,000 home. Should I finance the whole thing or pay all or part? Ooh, good question. Peg and I might actually give a slightly different answer on this one. I don't know. Well, I, I've been reviewing my clients' portfolios recently because I do get this question. And I, I, I go back to how much money do you have in safe? You know, what is your risk tolerance? Because if you're 50-50 and you have half of your money sitting in a bank somewhere and not earning anything, then I question why you would take out a mortgage. If you are willing to invest your money and at least 70% of your money in growth because you don't need that money, then I truly believe in all my heart that the future will outperform the mortgage rates today. So, but I have to walk through that exercise with somebody to make sure that I truly understand their risk tolerance, because what happens is if they go too aggressive with their investments, they don't stay in, and then they bug me, Bruce, they bug me all the time (laughs) about you know, that they're afraid when things are bad and then they're overzealous when things are good. And so I've got to get my arms around that particular client to make sure that they're not going to sell out at the wrong time. Because, yes, we can guide everyone. When they call me and say they want to get out of the market, I'll guide them and tell them all the reasons that they should not. But at the last second, it is their money and they can direct me on what to do. So... Yeah, and the same thing with me. The only, the only thing I'll, I'll kind of add, and I'm not adding really new information. I'm sort of just restating what you said in a different in a different way. Um, 
to me, economically, it comes down to the cost of money. What is the cost of the debt service? And can I earn more in an, in an investment? So if the interest rate or the debt service cost is low, like a, more, like a mortgage is, then I would say uh, I would keep my money invested. But if my money's not invested, if it's in cash, earning almost zero, why would I pay, you know, two and a half or three or three and a half percent on a, uh, by borrowing money if I could just pay cash? But if I'm invested and I'm earning a rate of return averaging six, seven, eight percent, you know, that, then I'm net, net ahead, not paying down that debt. Totally different answer. If it's a, you know, a credit card and the interest rate is 10 percent, then I'd say, no, pay down the debt, pay off the debt. But, but it, it gets down to economically, Am I going to earn a better rate of return on my investment than the cost of the debt service? But what I like about what you said is our business is not always just economical. You mentioned risk tolerance, but I would say human emotion, human feelings. Some people would look at me and say, I just can't sleep at night if I have debt. I got to pay cash for that. I don't care about the economic argument. I can't have debt. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. Well, then that's the right answer for you. So uh, my advice is not always just we're not computers. I, you know, I have to factor in the human element. Um, but if people ask me for a pure pragmatic economic answer, I would say, no, you probably want to finance that and keep your money invested because you're probably going to earn a higher rate of return. But I get the emotional component. I get the lack of uh, uh, ability to, to handle risk. Uh, and, and so it, it's a, it, it's got to be the right thing for you. Peg and I can advise, and you got to do what's right for you. Peg, I'm sure you've had clients before where you've tried to talk them out of getting out of the market and gave them all kinds of logical reasons, and they did it anyway because they just that's what they wanted to do. That's right, and and thankfully not many. But um, when it's happened, it's just the the client has regretted it, and never have never have they blamed me for not even trying harder because I try hard, but it it just happens. Yeah, and, right, I, and, we, then, and oh, I'm sorry, Rashini. And then we're very professional. I'm never going to say I told you so. I've had it no. happen, and the client has said, "Okay, I should listen to you," and I've never went, "Nah, nah, I told you so." So I'm just like, well. You did what you thought was right. Don't worry about the past. Let's move forward and try to do what's best going forward. Sorry, Rashini. Oh, no problem. I want to remind people of the number in our last few minutes if you want to get your call in. 651-989-9226. Ellen texted this question. Annuities are not usually indexed or in for inflation. Could a variable annuity still be an important part of a retirement plan? Um, Peg, you want to talk about annuities in general or, I mean, this this how do you want to handle this one? There's a lot of roads to go down. Yeah, there's a lot of roads. Um, well, an annuity, I can just define what it is. It's issued by an insurance company, and they come in all sorts of forms. They can come in fixed, and then you have a full faith and guarantee by the company only, not FDIC, the company's um, ability to pay. Or you could buy a variable one, and that means that you're going to invest in the, the markets, like the bond market, the stock market. And then you're going to rely on the insurance company in their definition of what type of guarantees they'll give you and what the costs are. 
I think they still have a very good place in people's portfolios for the right person. Um, I feel like you have to fully understand all the details about them because they're very complex. Often I find that uh, clients who may have bought them at an organization outside of me, they didn't understand all the pros and cons. And so I just caution everybody who's thinking about buying one to do your homework. Yeah, and the premise of the question actually is not completely true. It might be true for some annuities, but there are annuities that actually can provide an increasing income uh, in retirement to keep pace with inflation, if, you know, again, if that's important to you. But Peg really said the key thing. And annuities get a bad rap by the media um, in part because of higher costs and in part because they're, they're often misunderstood and in part because you usually have to sacrifice some liquidity, but they also do offer some features and benefits that people might uh, find attractive. And so, yes, if, 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 if it's important to you to be able to have an income stream that can go up with inflation, there are annuities that will do that, but you have to do a cost-benefit analysis and see if at the end of the day it's worth it to you to get that benefit if you, if you want it. All right. This listener says, in support of diversification, do you recommend holding cryptocurrencies for diversification? If so, how can you avoid the currency conversion fees that the banks charge? Peg, we're going to keep getting bombarded on, you know, cryptocurrency questions. And so I'll I'll let you go first. But uh, we're going to keep hearing this more and more and more and more. I think um, it is part of the diversification, but not a grand percentage at this point. What I think is, is more so that some clients are talking about buying it outright, more so in a play account at this point, but more to come. Yeah, and again, it, it's volatile. So, um, you know, it took a big hit this last week when Elon Musk said he was no longer going to accept cryptocurrency for payment for Tesla. So it took a huge hit in this last week, and, and that's you know that's not a new thing. It's been very, very, very volatile. And for anyone out there that says, well, you need to be in cryptocurrency, again, part of our answer is it is new technology, and at this point you don't know who the players will be long-term. I don't think it's going away. I think it's going to be here. But how do you know who the long-term players are going to be? And we always give the example that when the car was invented, there were over 100 car companies. Well, most of them you've never heard of before. They didn't last. So cryptocurrency is here to stay, and, and we do expose our portfolios to it a little bit. But it's a very small piece right now, and we still don't know going forward who the long-term winners are going to be in that space. Uh, Rashini, we probably don't have any more time to squeeze in any others because I over-talked. I'm sorry. No more text, but real quickly, Bruce, on that, would you call cryptocurrencies super high-risk investments? At this point, yes. Yes. Okay. There's 700 different ones out there, so it's just hard to know which one's going to last. Wow. All the more reason why you need people like Peg and Bruce to be advising you because they've got also other people behind them uh, giving them the background so they can advise you best. All right. Another great edition of Your Money. We're back next Sunday. You can reach Peg and Bruce during the week. Call 888-6-ADVICE or email your money at wealthenhancement.com. Meantime, make it a safe, happy, and healthy week. The previous program was sponsored by Wealth Enhancement Group. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Wealth Enhancement Group or its guests and do not reflect the opinions of News Talk 830 and Odyssey Inc.